And Matthew 26, 36, it says, Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I'll go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with Him, and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as your will. Father, if it's possible, Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Let your will be done. Father, this morning we come before you in Jesus' name. Father, we come before you say, Father, not our will, but Lord, let your will be done. But Father, we are forever grateful for your goodness. We are forever grateful because of your love because you gave your son Jesus so that we could experience life, so that we could experience eternal life. And so this morning, we are forever grateful because of your love for us. Father, it is a good Friday, but Sunday is coming. But Sunday is coming. It is a good Friday, but Sunday is coming. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise because we know the Sunday is coming. Hallelujah. Be praised to Jesus. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, team. All around the world, Easter weekend is the absolute centerpiece of the Christian faith. Because of Jesus' death, Resurrection was the divine ransom, ransom that set of humanity's eternal debt. He died a death he did not deserve, but he died so that we could have eternal life. It was a divine exchange. It was his love. It is incomprehensible, best. It says in John 3:16, therefore God so loved the world, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever Believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But because He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And today, if you are grateful, and today, if you are thankful for what He has done in your life, why don't you give the Lord a shout of praise this morning because of what He has done. Not only because of what He's done, but because of who He is. This morning, I would like us just to go back to the place of the Garden of Gethsemane. About 2,000 years ago, for a moment as we reflect on this Good Friday, Jesus found Himself at the crossroad of His life. He is at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked some of his disciples to go with him and pray, but they couldn't stay awake. The scripture tells us that he was deeply distressed. 
So he goes a little bit further out and begins to pray and begins to cry out to the Father, Father, if there is any other way, if it's possible, if there is any other way, please take this cup away from me. The Scripture tells us that he was in great agony. It tells us that his sweat became like a great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's how much sorrowful, how much pain he was going through that time. And I can imagine, can you imagine your son going through that? His son, his father is saying, son, son, there is no other way. You must go through this because there is no other way. Because you are the way. Jesus cried out again, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please take this cup away from me. But no my will. Let your will be done. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that it was imminent. He knew that he was taking upon himself our griefs, our sorrow, our sins from the beginning of the world, from the present, the sense of the future. Father, he says, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, please take this cup away from me, but not my will. Let your will be done. You see, through our lives, we will all face Gethsemane. During our lives, we all have experienced a place called Gethsemane, a place of sorrow, a place where where we surrender our lives, a place where it's just you and God, a place where all you have is God, a place where you put your trust only in God, a place where we surrender our hopes, where we surrender our dreams, where we we surrender our future, we surrender our world, we surrender everything. There is no other way. Gethsemane is a place where it's just you and God. And on that day, on the day that Jesus was crucified, he was beaten to a pole before he was even crucified. He was, he was whipped with a cat of nine, nine tails. That's what the, the Romans used to call it. It was a whip that had nine leather strips and it had sharp hooks at the end of it. And they whipped his back. And they were whipped, and they were whipped, and they were whipped. His, his flesh will come out. The Bible says, the farmer, as the farmer plows the ground, so will his back torn open. The pain and suffering he went through, that he didn't deserve is what gives Good Friday the sober tone that it has. If this is painful, if this is the destination, crucifixion is the most torturous way to get there. You see, crucifixion was invented by the Persians about 300 BC, and it was developed during the Roman times and, and into a punishment for the most serial criminals. Please excuse me for being a little bit graphic for a minute, but I need to set the context for Jesus' suffering, for Jesus' suffering for the six hours that he was on the cross, 
just to give us an appreciation of what I'm about to share. Crucifixion looked like this. Seven inch nails would be driven, will be put through the wrists so that the bones could support the body's weight. The nail would cut through the medium nerve, which not only caused immense pain, but would have paralyzed the victim's hands. The feet were now to the upright part of the crucifix so that the knees were bent at around 45 degrees. And once the legs gave out, the weight would be transferred to the arms, gradually dragging the shoulders from the sockets. He would have no choice but to bear his weight on his chest. He would immediately have trouble breathing as the weight caused the rib cage to lift up and force him into a state of suffocation. Loss of body fluids and multiple organ failure would no doubt follow. And then the heart and the lungs would eventually stop working as blood drained through the wounds. The point is, it was a horrific pain. It was a horrific pain, dragged out, suffering and cruel in every way. Someone nailed to a cross where their arms are stretched out on either side could probably live for, more than, for no more than 24 hours. And Jesus was on there alive for roughly about six hours. And look at what happened in the midst of the most excruciating pain. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, When they come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Right through the pain, right through the suffering, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. In the middle of the suffering, Jesus forgave those who were hurting him, those who were nailing those nails into their hands, he forgave them. In the midst of his excruciating pain, he forgave them. Not after months, not after counselling, not after years, but in the very moment, He forgave them. In my suffering, in your suffering, do we have the capacity to forgive those who are hurting us in the moment? The Bible tells us that the soldiers, they divided His garments and the people stood looking on. Maybe you need to, you need to forgive who's been just looking, looking on at your suffering and you thought that they would do more, but they didn't. Can you forgive them in the moment? It goes on to say that even the rulers with them sneered. Can you forgive those who are sneering at you? They say he saved, he saved others. Let him save for himself if he is the Christ. The soldiers mocked him. Can you forgive those who are mocking you? Right now, they came and offered him sour, sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the truth is, he could have. But he chose to forgive. But he chose to forgive them. 
You see, forgiving those who hurt you, it's, an amaze, it's amazing. But to do it in the moment of your suffering is astonishing. Today is a good day to extend forgiveness to anyone who has hurt us. Maybe someone who's close to you. Maybe someone who's far away from you. The day that Jesus forgave all of, all, all of humanity seems like a good day for you and I to let go of the offenses that we are holding on to right now. You see, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the enemy. Bitterness is like acid. It does more damage in the vessel which is stored than the vessel on which is poured. I heard someone say, when you finally forgive and you think you're opening the jail, the jail cell to set your captives free, only to realize that when you open the door, it was you who was on the, in the, in the inside the whole time. Who do you need to forgive today? No matter how painful it seems, I'm sure it's nothing like what Jesus was feeling on that day. It was nothing like what Jesus was feeling on that cross. Today, why not, why not set ourselves free from the poison of unforgiveness? Forgive those who hurt you today. This morning, I would like us to just take a few moments before we consider to consider the King that we are worshiping today. And let's put our minds and our hearts on the cross that our King was hanging on. Especially, I want to take a moment to look at the sign written above, above the cross of Jesus. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. You see, it was written in three languages. The first one was Hebrew, the religious language, the Greek, the cultural language, the Latin, it was the commercial language. Now it was customary that the days of Jesus, when one was crucified, that as they made their way to the place of execution, someone would walk in front of them and they would hold a sign and the sign would say the crime that which the person was being put to death. They will take the sign and they will nail it to the top of the cross over the head of that one being crucified. You see, the Romans wanted to make clear, they wanted to make sure that whatever law was being broken, they were sending a message to all who read their sign and see the criminal, the violation of the law that was taking place and it wasn't going to be tolerated. It was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome at all cost. It's been said that the sign above Jesus was the very first gospel track, because it was. You see the sign, you see the sign there, was, there was no crime. There was no crime written on this sign. It was the testimony to the innocence and identity of Jesus. You see, Pilate, he meant the sign to make a mockery of Jesus before the religious leaders that he was the king of the Jews. He intended was to shame Jesus that day, but the religious leader were not happy. And Pilate was tired of demanding the demands of the Pharisees and, and, and their discontent. He had already declared on three different occasions the innocence of Jesus. 
And he said, I found no guilt in him. He tells him, I have written what I have written. And let the pilot know the truth of what he was declaring that day. That Jesus is a king. Because indeed he was, indeed he is the king of kings. Amen. Our Saviour King was nailed to the cross because He is the King. Have you ever thought about the word Saviour? You think about the life of Jesus, the sacrifice that He made to save. Saviour describes Him perhaps better than any other word. Everywhere you turn in the New Testament, you see Jesus doing what He does best, saving you see, he saved his disciples from a life of the mundane and offered them a chance to change the world. He saved a blind man from living in darkness and gave him the opportunity to see the light. He saved the lepers from living in isolation and restored them to, to health. He saved a woman caught in adultery and he set her free from what would have been a physical death as well as freeing her from the guilt and condemnation of sin and shame. He saved Peter on more than one occasion. Once from drowning and once from prison. He saved Paul and Silas from death, supernaturally releasing them from their prison cell. This morning, as you look at the cross, you see our Saviour. You see our Saviour. And can I encourage you to look at what He has done for you today. You see, our Savior was nailed to the cross that day. But what makes this really, but what he is, what really makes this Good Friday so good is that something else was nailed on that cross. You see, our, our sins were nailed to the cross. This is why this is a Good Friday. This is why we worship. This is why we celebrate our Saviour King. And this is why in just a moment we're going to take, partake in the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we had a debt that we could not pay. This debt was, was hindering us from our relationship with God. And there is no way that we can pay this debt. We couldn't be good enough to pay the debt of sin. We couldn't work hard enough to alleviate the penalty of sin. The only hope we have of receiving forgiveness and being made right with God is the debt that we owe is for the sin to be cancelled out, not overlooked, not settled out of court, not simply dismayed. It has to be cancelled. And the only way this can happen is for our sin to be nailed to the cross and for, our, for Jesus to die the death that it was ours. And in His death, the Bible say that He disarmed the enemy. Do you believe that this morning? In his death, he said, he disarmed the enemy. He stripped him of his power, triumphant over him, and once and for all. Come on. And again, this is why it's called Good Friday. Not in mourning, 
not in grieving, but in celebrating and worshiping our King who paid it all. This is a Good Friday. This is a Good Friday. And the last thing that Jesus did before He gave out His Spirit, the most surrounding prophetic declaration made when He cried on the cross, He said, it is finished. It is finished to shame. It is finished to guilt. It is finished to eternal punishment. It is finished to sadness. It is finished to diseases. It is finished to eternal condemnation. It is finished to separation from God. It is finished to loneliness. It is finished to oppression. Come on. It is finished to depression. It is finished to anxiety. And all of those things have a voice. But I want to tell you this morning that you can declare the voice. His voice is greater. It is finished. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And you and I now can have access available to God. To anyone who is humble enough to believe it and hungry enough to receive it. It is finished, he said. It is finished. If I can have the band coming up. You see, church, on that day, Jesus Christ made a stand for you, hoping that one day, a day like today, you would make a stand for Him. You see, church, it wasn't the nails that kept Him on the cross, but it was His love for you. It wasn't the nails that kept him up there, but because there's love for you. Because he loves you and because he believes in you.